Wow. Hey, guys. Wow, you guys are looking great today. Great to see you. Yeah, glad to have you guys here with us. Thanks for coming out today. Wow, good job, guys. Wow, Man, that's good. You guys lost an hour of sleep last night. How many, how, many, how many of you guys feel that right now? Anybody feel it? How many of you guys were smart and you set your clocks early yesterday so you actually went to bed at a time that would reflect a normal night's sleep? How many of you guys are smart? Right? How many of you guys just don't even care? Right? <laughs> now, let's just take a poll right now. I don't know about you, but I, I just would like do away with daylight savings time, right? Anybody else with me? If I ran for office, that's what I would do. I, I, this political season, that would be my only thing. I wouldn't talk about anything else. I would just talk about that. I think in this season, you could probably get elected president just for talking about that. So there you go. There you go. Daylight savings time. No, daylight savings time. Um, okay, guys, listen, we are in our current teaching series called James, right? James. It's a book of the Bible, by the way. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's in the New Testament. And so I would encourage you to take a Bible, open it up to James. We're going to be in James chapter 4. I want to say hello to all of you that are here today that are guests with us. Uh, I know that you could go anywhere to worship, and by walking through our doors, uh, it's a very humbling thing for us. Uh, We see everybody that walks through these doors as a gift from God, um, that we as pastors, and we have a great pastoral team, uh, that we are supposed to nurture and care for and minister to in whatever way possible. So every single one of you guys, you need to know how we see you. You are a gift from God. And um, just like you get a gift and you want to take good care of it, we want to take good care of the gift that God gives us as well. Um, So we're going to help you grow today in James chapter 4. If you're a guest with us out in North Platte, I want to say hello to all of you guys as well. Uh, I know that God's doing great things out in North Platte. Uh, We are one church in multiple locations, so I've got to say hello to all my friends that are down in the venue as well. I love those guys. Uh, What a great group of people that we have here at New Life that worship with us in the venue. So you're sitting in one, really one of four worship services today in three different locations that are all worshiping live together right now at the exact same time. I love the time in which we live. We get to use technology to talk about Jesus and to help people grow in a relationship with him like never before. It's fantastic. So thank you guys for being a church that allows us to do that. Um, Listen, in our teaching series, we've kind of processed through James chapter one all the way through chapter three. We're gonna tackle all of chapter four today except for, listen, I got bad news for you. Chapter four's got so much good stuff in it. I I just can't unpack all of it. Uh, You wouldn't, I mean, you got, you have grace. I got it. Uh, you would be cordial and kind to me, but by the time we got to the end, all of you would have got up and walked out. Um, it would take that much time. And so we're not going to abuse your time today. I would just say to you, please take James chapter four, read it for yourself. Use it as a devotional. Next week, we'll be wrapping up this teaching series with James chapter five. That'll be something that you're definitely going to want to read this week. If you read James chapter 5 this week, you're going to walk in better prepared for what God might be wanting to try to say to you even on Sunday. Um, So let's jump into James chapter 4. How many of you guys have grandchildren? Anybody have grandchildren? Okay. I have four four grandchildren, right? Four and counting. Um, And we've got, they go from four years old to about you know, seven months or so. I hope that I'm, I'm hope I'm right on that. Okay. But my wife is shaking her head. Yes, I am right. Because there's nothing like messing up the age of your grandchildren. It really offends your children. And that's not good. You don't want to do that. So uh, we've got them and they've, 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 like all four of them have been in and out of our house all week long. We've had two of them with us. In fact, our oldest grandson, his name is Aiden. He just, he's, he's like four years old. 
All right, now I know it's hard for you to remember back to four years old, and if you're raising children, then right now you're like, oh, that's painful. You had a four-year-old in your house all week long. Yeah, but listen, here, this is what's cool. Aiden is like at this age now where he's willing to do just anything, right? Anything. You say it, it's crazy enough, he just might try it. If you pick Aiden up and throw him against the wall, he would drop to the ground, get back up, run up to you and say, do it again, let's do it again. All right, he's, he's crazy like me. I mean, it's probably in our DNA. I don't know where it comes from, but that's kind of the way he is. Aiden, though, is at this stage where he is so independent, all right, independent. Like, you can't do anything for him, he wants to do it all for himself, right? It doesn't matter that he put his shoes on and they're on the wrong feet, right? That doesn't matter. I did it myself. It doesn't matter that his shirt's on backwards inside out. Look what I did, Papa, right? And I'm like, man, you're the man. Good job. Good job. It doesn't matter that he's playing with half of his toys broken because he broke them and he's not going to ask me to help fix them because he's going to fix them himself. So he plays with broken toys. As a a four-year-old, that's acceptable, right? Uh, at a four-year-old four age, to have some of that independence is really not so bad. The problem is, what I've noticed in life, at least, it never really goes away. It just kind of morphs and changes, and it looks different. So now we're adults, and we labor harder at things, right? We work harder. We toil harder at stuff because we're, we're independent. We're not willing to ask someone else for their assistance or for their help. You know, there's a lot of things maybe in your life that just have not got done because you alone can't, you can't pull it off by yourself, but you're unable, you were unwilling and or, you know, not desiring to invite anyone else to be a part of your life. And so there's certain things in your life that just have never got done. That's sad. There's other things in our lives that are broken, like literally they're broken. We've got relationships that are broken. We might have uh, financial things that are broken. There might be pieces of our leadership that are broken that keep offending people. There might be pieces in our marriage that are broken. And we live with this broken stuff because many times we just don't want to ask anybody for help. I was just reading in um, the USA Today this week about a, uh, about a guy about almost a, almost a year ago. They were recapping the story. And they were talking about this man who was in his 80s who had gone and eaten lunch with a friend at a place that he always goes to. But when he left that place, you know, that he, that he frequents, he, he went the wrong way. He got somewhat disoriented and he, he headed off in the south versus heading to the north. And he was missing all day. And you know how they put out an amber alert? You know that amber alert? Well, they, this is out on the east coast, so they just said it in the paper. So I'm just quoting what they said. They put out a silver alert, all right? So they've got a senior that is missing, and they can't find him. The, this, is, this is true. I mean, I, well, I say it's true. I read it in the paper, so I don't know. Um, but so they, they go and they interview the daughter, you know, to try to figure out, like, what, what's going on, what's happening. And the daughter says, there's one thing for sure I know about my dad, and that's this. He's stubborn. He's not going to stop and ask anybody for help. So from four years old... To in your 80s. There's this independent nature inside of us that wants to do things our way. It wants to get things done in, in a way that will make us happy, right? It's this independent spirit in us that has desires to accomplish things on our own, do things on our own, and I want it, by the way, my way. James, in chapter 4, he's dealing with this same independent spirit. 
Except for one of the things that you need, to, you need to know before we go reading in James is this. James is writing everything I'm getting ready to read to you to a group of people just like you. He's writing it to Christians. And this is how he kicks off James chapter 4. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Wow, it's a group of Christians, like a church. Don't, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Because what causes fights and quarrels among us? The church still fights. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He, he just jumps in and he goes, so I'm writing to you guys. I am, I'm like the half-brother to Jesus. I, I've got some good stuff to say to you. And I, I love you and I'm trying to build a mature church. Right? I mean, that's my mission. As, as James, I'm, the, I'm one of the key leaders of the early church. And I want a mature church. I want a church that you know, reflects the image and the nature of Christ. But I look at you guys, and you guys are fighting, and you're quarreling, and you're, you're dogging each other out here. I'm trying to build a mature church. And, and James looks at him, and he goes, let me just tell you something. I see, and others in the community see, you're quarreling, and you're fighting amongst one another. They think that's just who you are. I'm telling you, I look below the surface of that. That's just the outward struggle that's happening. But you're quarreling and you're fighting or telling me that there's something going on inside of your heart. And what's happening in your heart is that there are desires that evidently are not pure. They're desires that are not right. There's this independent, selfish nature inside of you with desires that are causing you to battle into war in here that are causing you to battle into war out here. And so James deals with it and he goes, the conflict that you guys are fighting is your desires. Now, the other word that could be put in there with your desires is the word pleasures. Now, this is, a very, this is very important to understand. De- desires or pleasures. So in essence, in the early church, their independent spirit and their selfish pleasures were causing, watch though, not just quarrels and fighting, spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. Now, James... James most likely got this concept from Jesus. Jesus, when he was sharing um, in the Gospels, and we're going to look at it in just a second, but when he was sharing in the Gospels, Jesus began to tell this story. Um, It's called a parable. So he was using some real-life stuff to help get across a real-life point. And Jesus was sharing, and he said to them, okay, guys, look, there's this seed that gets cast out. Like the preaching today is a seed that gets cast out. It's, it's, It's something that can bring really good life. But it lands, on, it lands on different types of ground. Some's rocky. Some has thorns. Some is great. It's perfect soil. And when the seed lands on it, it grows differently depending on the land it, it lands on. And the land was man's heart. So the seed is the good news of Jesus. The land is man's heart. This is what Jesus says about our selfish independence and our desire for pleasures, right, that cause a spiritual maturity. Take a look. Jesus said that the seeds that fell among the thorns, the thorny ground, represented those who hear the message, the good news, but are all too quickly, all too quickly though, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. You see that? Here's what happens. And so, what, are the, what happens here? Read it with me. So they never grow into, they never grow into maturity. So Jesus is helping us was as James is probably reflecting back on this story that he remembers Jesus told, told to him, but Jesus is helping us understand that spiritual maturity is not happening inside of us because there are these thorns 
that are, that are poking at all of, the, all of the growth that God's trying to do in you. And so James now is speaking to this early church, these new Christians, and he's going, guys, you're growing in your faith, but there are these things, these earthly pleasures, these independent desires that you have inside of you that are like thorns, and they keep popping every good, perfect thing that I'm trying to do in you. Similar to like this balloon. All right, now I tried this in the first service and I had enough air power to pull it off, but I'll show you what I'm talking about. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Okay, (laughs) just joking, just joking. I'm not gonna pass out yet. Okay, so here we have, I'm not a children's pastor, so I don't get all this stuff exactly right, like Eric does, but... Here's what we basically have. This parable that Jesus is talking about, he's going, you are like the balloon, and all the air in it now reflects spiritual maturity. And if I kept blowing the balloon up, just hypothetically, let's just say, you could blow this balloon up as large as you could ever do it, it would never pop. We know that this balloon would pop. But if you could blow this balloon up, out here someplace, if I kept blowing the balloon up, out here someplace are these thorns, these earthly pleasures, these independent nature inside of us that says, I want life my way, not your way, my way. This world's all about me. It's not about you. James is saying that your life is like this balloon that keeps blowing up, blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. And then it, it contacts these thorns. And, it, and I keep trying to build godly character and peace in you and joy and love in you. But your earthly pleasures... And your selfish, independent desires, they keep defeating every great and good and perfect thing that God's trying to do in you. That's what Jesus was trying to drive home when he said the seed fell on this thorny ground. And like the balloon, you kept growing, but the thorns that represent the pleasures, this independent nature that wants what you want, not what God wants, it keeps defeating everything. So there's one principle true in this story, and that's this. The thorns always win. They always win. You and me are our greatest enemy when it comes to our own spiritual growth. It's not that we can't get our hands on the right teaching, because, I mean, come on. Today you can get your hands on the right teaching. I mean, there's how many books that have been written right? To help explain what God's word says. How many preachers are preaching today to help explain what God says? The resources are enormous. The problem lies inside of here. The problem lies inside of here. And it's this independence that started when we were just kids that keeps raging inside of us. And if not dealt with, our independent desires will keep taking us farther and farther away from God. So what you and me need to do is we need to ask a question of ourselves. It's a serious question. Are you growing spiritually? Are you? I mean you, right now, right where you are, North Platte, the venue here, are, are you growing spiritually? I mean, is your heart ever increasing with compassion for those in our world that are broken? Is your love for God ever increasing? Is your revelation of God's word continuing to expand? Right? Are you finding that the faith inside of you is growing so large that you can't contain it anymore and it has to be shared with others? All of the basic principles of spiritual growth. Right? Are you finding yourself finding uh, you know, more joy in giving to God financially? 
Are you growing spiritually? Because that's what this whole thing's about anyways. And if you're not growing spiritually, if you're sitting there and you're honest with yourself and you're going, you know what, I'm not. I feel like I really have kind of plateaued. Then what I want to address with you is this. Is it possible that your earthly pleasure, your independent nature that strives to please you and you alone, is it acting like a thorn stuck in the balloon of your spiritual maturity that's letting air just escape out of it? And you're trying, you're coming here on Sunday, you're reading, you're reading God's word maybe even, you know, you're trying to go through a few motions, but it's like no matter how much you do, you can't put any more air into the spiritual maturity balloon in your heart and make it larger than, than what it is right now. There's nothing you feel like you can do. Maybe you're looking in the wrong place. You keep trying to fill the balloon and Jesus is trying to show you and James is trying to speak it. He's going, it's the thorns. It's the independent nature. It's the striving for every earthly care and desire, and it keeps tripping you and pulling you down. So let's look at that for a moment, right? James defines for us the independent rebellion that these early Christians were really facing as he continues in James chapter 2. He says, you guys, you, you Christians, you, you people that you believe in Jesus, you want something, but you don't get it. So what do you do? You kill and you covet. Wow, that sounds very Christian-like. But you cannot have what you want. So you do something else. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask God. James, is, he's saying to you, I know that you have this independent nature. We all have it, but it has to die. And let me tell you where you're going wrong. Right? You're trying to make everything happen with your own two hands and with your own mind. And what you're not doing is you're not coming and asking God. So really what he's telling us is this. You're not desiring what God desires. Your whole desire is for what you want. And as much as you try to get it, you get some of it, but you can't hang on to it. Like you get some of it, but it just goes through your fingers like water or like putty through your fingers as you squeeze down on it. You acquire some things, but it's not enough. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying that you go and you do things and you can't, you can't succeed like you're losers. He's telling them, I know that you guys go out there and make things happen with your hands, but it's like you can never have enough, can you? You can't ever please the inner self enough, can you? And so that's what he's dealing with here. And he's, he's telling us, you guys are lusting after and you're thinking about it and you're fighting for all these things you want, but you can't get it. It's your independent nature at work. I'm sure that you're like me. We all have desires for things, right? I got desires for things. That's not the problem. That wasn't the problem. It was the unbalance of that. But think back, like, what was something you really desired, you really wanted? You wanted it so bad that you would do anything to get it. Like when I wanted a new bicycle as a little kid, right? And guess what I was challenged with? Keep your room clean for a month. We'll get you a bike. Well, as a boy... I mean, you're about asking the impossible. My carpet was toys, right? I mean, that was my floor. Keep my room clean for a month. That's what it's going to take. I desire that bike so much. Kept the room clean. Guess what I get? Got the bike. It's awesome, right? What about you? you uh, you've got the 60-inch flat screen hanging on the wall, and last week you decided, man, you know what? Those people on that 60-inch are just a little too small. We got to have that 90 inch, right? The 90 inch. 
Now that's where we can watch hockey and football, basketball. The 90-inch, this is going to be awesome. And all the men in the room went, Ugh. And all the women were like, oh, no. All right, here we go again. You've got this desire, and you convinced yourself that if you, I don't even know, if, do they sell 90-inch flat screens? Okay, good, praise. <laughs> Somebody said yes, they know. They're like, I just did this last week. Were you watching me or what? I mean, man, you would do whatever, right? I mean, if, it, if you get that in your heart, you're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. You're going to strive after it. You're going to work after it to get that 90-inch up, up on that wall versus the 60-inch or whatever it is that's hanging there. And the story, it goes on and on and on. Smartphone, you just got a smartphone, you know, a couple months ago. And then now they came out with a new version. Oh, man, I got to go trade this thing in and get the newest version. Or, you know, I got to have that new car. Why? Well, because I saw the commercial. It's awesome. I mean, come on, seriously, right? You get the new car, and what do you feel, man? You feel like a rock star. What's the very first thing you do when you get a new vehicle? What is, what's the very first thing that you do? I'm going to tell you what you do because you're not willing to confess it to anybody. This is what you do. You take it in an evening after the sun's gone down and the lights are out and you drive by a strip mall where you can see all the glass so you can look into the strip mall and you can be like, I look pretty stinking good in this car. Because that's how we buy cars today. We don't care how much horsepower it has. You know, you kick the tire. Yep, okay, the tire's got air. Yeah, do I look cool in this thing, though? That's what it really matters. That's what really matters. So when you have a desire, you're willing to do just about anything to get it and to get your hands on it. But what happens with our independent desires? You've probably felt the same way I have. They left you empty. Because once you got that thing that you felt like you really had to have, it, the, the joy of it quickly, it just fades away, doesn't it? Pretty soon you're on to the next thing and you're on to the next thing. It's because our independent desire, it leaves us very empty. That's why James challenges us and he says to us, guys, you know what you need to be doing? You need to be asking God. You need to be coming to God going, God, what are your desires for my life? Not just living out your frills, living out your thrills. That, that's not what brings us joy and happiness. What's going to bring you and me joy and happiness is when we come before God and we say, okay, God, what is your desire? And we say, God, I want to ask you for that. Ask him. That's where it starts. It starts by first coming before God and saying, God, you know, my life left to itself brings wickedness. It brings destruction. I waste all kinds of money. I go from one little thing to the next little thing to the next, and none of it brings me happiness. God, what is it that you want me to do? See, that's asking God. God, what is it that, should I, should I do this, should I not? That's asking God. That's going, God, I give you permission. Speak into my life and change my independence to make it something that better reflects your heart. All right, but even if you ask God, though, all right, James tells us that our independent nature can be at work even in asking God. Take a look at what he says in the next verse. In verse 3, James says that when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. What are the wrong motives that we're asking with? The wrong motive is this, that you personally may spend what you get on your pleasures. I know none of you guys, none of you guys are the kind of people that when you pray, it's all about you. It's always about others, isn't it? 
It's, it's never about what you and God, what you can do for me and God, what I need. I know, I know that because I'm looking out at a much more spiritual, mature group of people. I mean, the truth of the matter is this. A lot of our prayer is about us. And if God gives it to us, we're going to spend it on us. Yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, what James writes to the early church, the first Christians, we're still living out today. But what you need to know is this. Every prayer that you pray, every prayer that you pray gets answered. It gets answered by God. Did you realize that? You're sitting here, well, hey, listen, man, if God answers prayer, then he should have done it a long time ago because I'm going through some hellish stuff. Yeah, but see, here's the deal. No is an answer. No is an answer. You equate it to God's silence as if God didn't care. But every prayer you pray gets answered. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's not what you hoped for. Other times it's exactly what you were planning on. And when that happens, wow. I mean, that's awesome when it takes place. But these Christians, these guys were praying with the wrong motives. They were praying with the idea that God's like some genie in a bottle. And if I do just the right things, God will be pleased with me. And so they rub on the bottle. Out comes God. And I say, God, you know what I need? (laughs) This is what I need. It's going to make me happy. And you just keep rubbing on the bottle. It's like you just keep doing the, the, the Christianese type of things because these guys were all Christians. But in the backside, you're... You're murdering the spirit of God. You know, you're fighting and quarreling against God because you're not in agreement. You're on two different pages. God is not a genie in a bottle that you just rub on and that you try to impress so that he'll answer your prayer so that you get what you want. That's not the way it works. And Jesus said that there's a big difference between selfish prayers, which would be the genie in the bottle prayer, and a prayer offered according to God's will. Jesus said it in this way, in Matthew chapter 6, when he was teaching the church how to pray. He goes, hey guys, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Whose kingdom? God's kingdom. Whose will? God's will. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he goes, it's not about your selfish desires. It's not about your independent nature. It's not about, you know, God coming along and meeting all of your pleasures. It's about you praying, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done. Let me help you just understand what I'm talking about just a little bit more. You guys have all seen a snow globe, right? When I was a kid, I was fascinated with snow globes. I mean, you could sit for minutes on end and just flip the thing upside down and watch the snow go wherever wherever it was at. When I was a kid, it was fun to kind of imagine that this snow globe is like a world that I hold in my hand and that inside of the snow globe is this community of people that they live in, in there. Now, before you report me as being the craziest pastor on the planet, I know that that's not true, all right? But I, I used to think that as a kid and I would, you know, you'd have all these kind of crazy thoughts like, you know, you've ever heard the phrase like, man, my whole world turned upside down. Well, <laughs> you know, it did for these guys. And... Uh, and then it just, it comes back and it snows on them. And you can almost imagine like the, you know, the meteorologist, the weather guy going, hey, our world got turned upside down today. It's going to snow a couple of inches, right? Okay, you guys don't think that's funny. Okay. <laughs> I'll stop. I won't go on with the rest of them because like what happens to the, you know, hey, three times a day, it's going to be a blizzard. Okay, whatever. All right, it doesn't matter. So I thought about what would it be like? I, I hold this little world, this snow globe world in my hand. 
Right? And these people that are in here. Now, not as a child did I think these thoughts, but for this sermon, I think it would be really practical for you. That what if the little snow globe world that I hold in my hand and that you could easily hold in your hand, what if there were little people? Right? And what if all of a sudden one day, some little person living in your little snow globe world, right, decided to kind of speak out and say to you, the one who holds the snow globe world in his hand, who the guy inside can barely see, can barely understand because he, he looks through this, this clouded glass trying to see clearly what's on the other side, right? Very much like us living on earth, looking out, trying to understand what's going on. And he looks through and it's distorted and my image is distorted on the other side and he's trying to figure out everything that I am but he can't figure it all out because he lives in a little snow globe world. Right, And then all of a sudden, one day, the guy in the little snow globe world cries out to me who holds his little world in his hand. And he says, hey, it's about time that my kingdom should come. Yeah, my kingdom needs to come in your little snow globe world that you hold in your hand and in the solar system that you created and in the universe that you created. Hey, little mister who holds the world in his hand, it's time for my kingdom to come. Oh, and by the way, you who holds the world who I'm trying to see but I can't really understand, hey, it's time for my will to be done even though I know I only exist for a moment and if you choose to drop the snow globe world, I don't exist at all, but it's time for my will to be done, not you who holds the snow globe in his hand. And as crazy as that sounds, that's how we approach God with our independent nature. Hey, you, who holds the world in your hands, who placed it in a solar system and in a galaxy and in a universe, hey, it's time for my kingdom to come. And it's time for my will to be done. See, the independent nature inside of you and me, it causes us to think some crazy thoughts. Just some off-the-charts craziness. And James talks a little bit about this off-the-charts crazy thoughts that you have when you let your independent nature drive you. He says these words in the next verse, in verse 4. He goes, you know what you guys are? You're an adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He goes, your independent nature has caused you to get some misfiring inside of your heart and your mind. Guys, I just want to let you know, James is saying, and I'm saying it to you. You cannot have all of what the world's pleasures are and have all of what God has. You cannot, that can't be. Your independent nature can't cause you to come to a place where you're like, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to love the world with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. James says that's adultery. He goes, it's ludicrous. It's craziness. You've been bought with a price. Jesus gave his life on the cross. You've been saved. And by grace, God sets you free. And now your heart is that you want all that the world has to offer? He goes, that's ludicrous. That's craziness. So somewhere along the way, guys, faith, real genuine faith that transforms our life, it has to end up colliding right, with this independent nature, or otherwise, your faith is dead. If your faith doesn't collide, and it doesn't change and alter the very heart of who you are, this independent nature, then your faith is dead. Somewhere along the way, we're going to have to come to a point where we realize, and we wake up, and we say, okay, enough is enough. God, I'm, gonna, I'm all out for you. I'm not going to just go out for you for 
what's comfortable for me, and then the rest of the thorniness is where the world's going to dominate. At some point along the way, we've got to come to a place where we say, God, you are all that I want. You're all that I need. You're what I desire. And at that moment, that's when faith can collide with your, independent, with your independence, right? And at that point, it can produce something. It's going to produce humility. See, when faith collides with your independence, it starts producing something that is beautiful, something that God loves, something that others love, something that doesn't repulse others, something that doesn't repulse God. It starts to produce humility. And one of the things I want you to know today is this. God, he is for you. He's not against you. God is wanting to help you in this process become all that you want to be in Christ Jesus. So take a look at what James says next about how how God wants to help you walk away from this independent nature and become more humble in heart. In James 4, verse 6, it says, but he, being God, God gives us more grace. More grace. Say more grace. grace. There's, There's more grace than what you're already, in, already experiencing. God says, I want to give you more grace. That is why the scriptures say God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, more grace to the who? God gives more grace to the humble. Is it, is it, I don't know about you, that blows my mind away. God gave us grace. Grace is this undeserved favor of the Lord that you and me have because Jesus gave his life on the cross and we surrendered our life to him. And now God's saying this, not only do you get that, but if you're, if you're willing to live humble, I'll pour out more grace on you. More. I'll pour out an abundance of grace on you. But if you choose not to go that way, then you're going to be opposed to me. And I'm actually going to be opposed to you. I'm not going to be angry with you. It's just that I'm not going to be able to pour grace out on you. Which is exactly what God wants to do. God wants to pour grace out on you. But when you, when you choose to live prideful with this independent spirit, seeking after earthly pleasures just for yourself, God goes, I'm going to restrain myself and I'm not going to pour more grace out on you. I'm going to be in resistance to you until you wake up and you come to a point where you're like, God, I want more of you. So how, does, how do we let faith collide with our independent nature, this, these pleasures that we seek after so that true humility can come? How do we do that? James gives us the formula in the next few verses. Take a look at what he says. First he says, submit yourself then to God. That's the first thing. Submit yourself to God. What's he mean? Well, let me tell you exactly what God's word means there. Surrender yourself completely to God. Surrender, like, an off, like a soldier surrenders to an officer, right, in the military. When a soldier comes into the military and an officer shows up, the officer has complete control. If the officer says we're going to go here, then we go there. If the officer says we're going to jump, the soldier says? How high? If the officer says, hey, we're going we're gonna to run, then the soldier says? How fast? How far? That's what it means to submit yourself to God, is to come to God and say, God, basically, it's not about my earthly desires, it's about yours. So, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to love today? What do you want me to accomplish today? How can I show compassion today? It all goes back to that. God's the officer, you're the soldier. God, what do you want to do? But the next thing that he says is that, after you got that one conquered, and you're living in that kind of a lifestyle, then go to the next, resist the devil, Resist. To resist the devil literally means to stand firm. Like, I am not going to move. And you can stand firm resisting the devil knowing this, that God's got your back. 
right? God is towering over you, and here comes the enemy, and he's going to try to get at you, but he sees God towering over you. Let me just tell you this. The enemy can only go so far when a Christian decides, I'm going to stand firm, and I'm not going to fall prey again to these selfish, you know, uh, independent desires. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to start seeking after God and his desires, and I want God's will to be done in my life. When you stand firm, there's a promise. What was the promise? That the enemy will flee from you. That's a promise from God. Why? Why does he flee? I just got this picture in my head that God's towering over the top of you, and you're standing firm, and you're going, you shall not pass, and God's going, you shall not pass, with some big voice, voice, and the enemy runs away like a little rat, right? I mean, that's the kind of pictures I get in my mind, because that's about what we're facing. So he says, stand firm. Learn how to say no. (laughs) Learn how to stand on God's word. Learn how to stand on the principles that, God, you're ultimately victorious. But when your life is just with, inside a little snow globe world, man, it doesn't have a lot of purpose. But when you realize the one who holds this world in his hand is the one who created you and loves you, it, it's a lot easier to say no because you're living for something a lot bigger than yourself. So that's one. Right? The next one, though, goes to the next verse. In verse 8, he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. You've been living this independent life, doing what you want to. As Christians, by the way, God, I love you, but I'm going to go do what I want. He says, hey, now that you stop doing that, get as close to God as you can. Don't settle for anything less than getting so close to God that you hear his voice on a daily basis. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. He says basically this, since you've been set free, do whatever it takes to maintain your purity. Do you need to be a part of a group of people to help maintain your purity? Then do it. Right? Do you need to have an accountability partner that you can confess to? Then do it. What do you need to do to maintain your purity? That's what he's telling us to do. Do it over and over again. And then lastly, he says, and by the way, don't be double-minded. Meaning, hey, a certain point along this journey... You know, as you give up yourself and you let God rule and reign inside of you, you're going to get really comfortable and think that you can go back and gain some of the things of the world and hang on to everything you have from God. He goes, don't get double-minded with that. Don't don't mistake that. You're never going to get to the point where you've grown so much in God that now you can go and, you know, please yourself and let your independent nature drive you and lead you. You'll never get to that point because that's not what you were designed for. So don't ever become double-minded. And then lastly, James tells us, if you want to, if you want to have faith collide with this independent spirit so that it produces humility, practice this. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That's encouraging. Change your laughter to mourning even more. And your joy to gloom, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your your joy to gloom. What's he saying? You know what he's saying to us? Live a life of repentance. It's that simple. Live a life of repentance. Humble yourself before God. Kneel down. Repent. Repent of the actions that we've done that that are coming from our selfish nature. Because we want to be people that are living by our Christ-centered nature. Repent to him, not just once, daily. By the hour, if necessary. He says as often as necessary, repent to God. And in that way, we are breaking this independent nature 
and we're striving to live more humble before God. Please know, God wants to help you. God wants to come alongside. He wants to encourage you. You know what pleases God the most? What pleases God the most is when you and me live a life that's right before God so he can work on your behalf. That's what pleases God the most. It's not what you do for him, but it's when you live your life righteous, you live your life striving after this humble heart so that God can say, you know what I want to do? Wow, that's awesome. I love what I see in that person. I get to pour out more grace upon them. That's what pleases the heart of God. So whatever you need to do, live a life in such a way that God can pour out more grace on you. So in closing today, say you have a son or a daughter that's seven years old. Seven years old. They come to you and they say, Mommy or Daddy, hey, I need $20. I need $20. I need $20 bad, right? What's the first thing that you say to them? Like, what for? And with that steely glaze, right, you look into their eyes and you look into their heart and you try to discern what the real motive is with the $20 and you, you come to the conclusion that you should give the $20. And you give the $20 and with a smile on their face and they give you a big hug and they run off. Two months later, it's your birthday. And while you're at your birthday and you're celebrating, the cake is there and the cake has just been eaten and it's time for presents your son or your daughter at seven years old runs back into their room and they grab this box and it's all wrapped up and they bring it out to you and they say, hey, open my gift first. Open my gift first. And you're like, oh, sweet. This is awesome. It's some paper mache thing from school again um, or whatever. And you open it up and you're trying to be as excited as you can. And all of a sudden, inside of the box is this item that you have wanted for a long time. You have set it around the house multiple different times. It's, this is not some little trinket that was made in art class. This is something that took $20, maybe even a couple of extra dollars to secure. And your seven-year-old has gotten it for you. And inside, while you're saying thank you and wow, this is awesome. I can't believe I got this gift. I never would have bought it for myself. This is incredible. Thank you. You must really love me. And inside you go, where did you get the money? And then you flash back and you go, Two months ago, you asked for 20 bucks and you put the dots together, right? How would you feel about your son or your daughter at that time? How would you feel about that gift? Would that not become one of the most precious gifts? Would your son or your daughter just have, you know, risen in your heart of your love and your compassion for them? Yes, because they took the $20 and they didn't spend it on themselves. They took the 20 bucks and they reinvested it and they blessed you with it and they loved you with it and they did the kind of things that made you happy and made you pleased. Let me tell you today, that's you before God today. God has given you grace by the death of Jesus on the cross. And when you take that grace and you go and you lavish it on others and you spend it on others and it's not about you and you do the work of the king and you fulfill his heart and you do the things that makes God happy, when you come back to God, God looks at you and he says, you know what I want to do? I want to pour out more grace upon you. I want to pour more grace upon you. Because when you use God's grace to bless others, you're living a humble lifestyle. But when you use God's grace just for yourself, you're living a proud, self-centered, independent lifestyle. And God's opposed to that. Let's live a lifestyle that lets God go, I want to pour more grace on you. So let's wrap up with this last verse in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and God will lift you up. That's the great hope that we have today. If you choose today to take this challenge and fight against this independent nature, 
the humble heart inside of you is going to cause God to pour out more grace. It's going to cause God to lift you up, honor you, and show favor to you. So let's be about the work of the king. Let's not waste God's resources on just us. But let's take God's resources and let's invest it into the lives of others. And let's start praying God's will be done instead of our will be done. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name knowing that, Lord, you hear every single prayer. And when we pray a prayer according to your kingdom and according to your will, it's amazing how things radically take place and happen. And Lord, today, today, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. All across this auditorium, out in North Platte and down in the venue, we humble ourselves before you. We want you to have your way in our lives. We want you to open up our hearts that we can see you more clearly. We want you to open up our hearts, God, so we can love you more purely. God, that's the kind of people we want to be. Lord, I, just, I know that about people that walk through the doors of new life. They're, they're wanting to figure out who is the real Jesus and how do I let Jesus change my life so that I look more like him and sound more like him. Lord, I pray that all across new life, that there be people today that are maybe even using the altars during our response time to humble themselves and to simply say, God, have your way in me. To humble ourselves, hungry people coming to altars that are just kneeling down and going, God, I've lived these last few years for me. I want to live the rest of my life for you. God, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people that are willing to sacrifice it all so that your will would be done. And I pray, God, that you would find that here as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.